On today's Aloha Friday podcast, we talk to Willis Barrow, city council candidate for District 9, about homelessness, Hawaii's recovery from the COVID-19 shutdown, as well as the tragedy in Minnesota and police reform here in Hawaii. Welcome to the Aloha Friday podcast, coming from the Landsberg Law Office in the historic penthouse suite of the Executive Center in downtown Honolulu. Here we talk to the most interesting people we know, from current events to how they got to where they are to how they see the world. And now, your co-hosts of the Aloha Friday podcast, Marcus Landsberg and Naomi Cooper Christensen. Aloha and welcome today to the Aloha Friday podcast. My name is Marcus Landsberg and joining me today is my co-host Naomi Cooper Christensen. How are you doing, Naomi? Hi, I'm doing wonderful. How are you? Doing good, doing good. And I invited my special friend to be here today. We have a very special guest. So uh, today we are going to speak to Will Asparrow. Will Asparrow uh, as you probably know, if you've watched news at all in the state of Hawaii, was in the Hawaii legislature for 16 years, uh, 16 years in the Senate, excuse me, three years in the House. Uh, he's been a public servant for his basically his whole adult career, held any number of positions uh, across that. And now he's running for city council. So he's running for a city council in the district of Eva Beach, Waipahu and Mililani. That's the district. So that's uh, district nine. And we appreciate joining him here today. I've known him uh, both as a, uh, as a, as a council or excuse me, as a, a, what do you call it? As a, as a legislature Senator. member. Senator, I knew you from Senator. So I've known him both as a Senator, but I've also known him on a personal level and I enjoy talking to him very much. I think he's often on the right side of issues and I think he's very intelligent and, and knows a lot about, uh, how the sausage is made. Is that fair to say? So for <laughs> all those bacon, reasons, by I'm, the way, <laughs> well, the good thing is we're not a kosher podcast anymore. So uh, for all those reasons, we've invited him to uh, be on our show. How are you doing today? Will? So far, so good. Thank you, Mark, and aloha, Naomi. Thank you for inviting me, and I yeah, look forward to this conversation. Well, good, good, good. So we are, I think you mentioned just before we came on, we are just about seven weeks away from the election? Right. The The ballots um, are expected to be delivered by July 21. Okay, and we can they must be returned by August eighth. So, so this is the first statewide mail-in ballot election. Uh, it was passed by the legislature last year in 2019. Uh, first, they had passed that they will do a pilot on Kauai, but then okay. it was decided that they'll do do it for the statewide and thus that's why they made the amendment last year. Mm. Well, it came in just you, in time. <laughs> yeah, yes, no, really. Yes. Wow. Do you think that's going to change the outcome of the election or as far as the makeup or the type of people who will vote or take time to send in the ballots? Well, we, we really hope so because in the last two primaries, the voter turnout was in the primary 36% and 37% respectively. So that's really dismal and really bad. 
Uh, I'm guessing that we'll get an uptick, but I don't think we'll hit 50%. If we could get a 5%, maybe 10%, that would be great. But at this stage, I just don't know because there hasn't been a lot of publicity and promotion yet. I'm, I'm expecting that'll probably happen as it gets closer. And hopefully with what's going on in the world and in DC and in Minneapolis and here in Hawaii, people are paying attention and, and they're getting an emotional rise one way or the other and, and they'll want to participate, but you know, time will tell at this point. So, do you do you think the reason why the people vote so little in Hawaii is because they're just satisfied with the way things are going? I can't imagine that's what it is. Do you think there's just no reason, like it doesn't make a difference who they elect? Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, my opinion is that people have so many things going on in their lives, and ah. especially just the cost of living and trying to survive on a day-to-day basis. You know, you've heard that probably a lot of our residents are living paycheck to paycheck. So although they may want to, you know, when when you're dealing with a job or lack of a job or children or sickness or whatever the case may be out there, that some residents and constituents probably just think, well, we'll let the other guys do it. Because, you know, yeah, I mean, that's just my thoughts. Uh, You know, know, there's nothing mandatory about it, but you and I and we know that, you know, it's so important to be engaged and be active. But unfortunately, others haven't been taught that or they just it just hasn't connected. Mm. Yeah, I'm not going to let someone drive the car without me having a say on where we're headed. Right. And if I'm not going to do that with my car, why would I do that with my kid's school or my tax rate or uh, whether there's potholes in the road? None of that makes sense to me. Right. And, And when you look at just the political lay of the land here, you know, some may think that um, that that why get involved. So. So there's multiple reasons, and and hopefully now with the ballot going directly into their house and sitting on their table for a day or two or three, that that might be incentive enough for for them to get involved. But, uh, you know, they have to want to, and, and thus, you know, I don't know if we're going to be able to, to make people want to. Well, I mean, I think what makes people want to is an inspirational candidate, and that's part of why we wanted you to come here today to talk to our listeners, all of them, and be inspirational and give them a reason to do it. Can I get you to move the microphone like one or two inches away from your face? Because you're right there. I think it's your good when you're, but then you get excited. And I can tell that you're excited about (laughs) solutions. And so I think that's so we're getting the P-pops and stuff like that. Uh, Maybe if I I close one of my nostrils, that might help. And we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we need a snorkel is what <laughs> we need to do. Uh, well, okay, let me there ask we you go. this. If you get elected, day one, uh, what's the most important thing on your plat- palette? What do you want to get done more than anything else? Well, there are several, several items. Uh, definitely, I want to work on ending homelessness. 
this is something that I've worked on as a state senator. I used to chair the housing committee. So um, I do have some knowledge and background there. And, and that's one of the points I'm pushing in this election. You know, my experience, uh, 16 years in the Senate, three in the House of Representatives. Plus, I was also for eight years uh, in charge of Oahu's neighborhood board system under wow. Frank Fossey. He hired me when I was 26, and, and that was my first government job. So, you know, got a lot of experience. Actually, old enough. Your experience is actually old enough to vote. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but, <you know. laughs> no, no, it is. It is. So, well, you know, between um, you know homelessness, you know, dealing with the affordable housing issue. Again, I know a lot of the players and the people involved. And that's something I want to look into. And then you know, the, the rail. You know, okay. Unfortunately, there are some people who are saying stop it, but we can't stop it at this stage. It's going to be built. And, and that's going to probably be one of the most challenging issues we have to deal with, uh, finding the revenues and money to complete rail, especially with the uh, COVID-19 era, you know, our revenues are, 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 are dismal at this moment. So everything's going to be yeah. delayed and pushed back. But, uh, you know, we have to, you know, those are three of the areas I'm running on transportation solutions, ending homelessness, building affordable housing. And then I've got some ideas on, on new jobs and new opportunities and, and what the new normal will bring. I'm so excited. So, yeah, no, absolutely. So <laughs> when we talk about ending homelessness, do you have, and I understand it's not a soundbite question, right? But right. do you have a particular strategy or something that you think that we're not taking advantage of or something we can continue to do? And I get that, you know, it's not, hey, if we buy this one particular thing, all homelessness is solved. But is there... A particular right, right. strategy you have that would at least minimize a substantial amount? Well, I, I remember, you know, I worked for Frank Fossey from 1987 to 1994. Mm. And in that time period, there were homeless. And I remember the homeless being in Ala Park the way they have been in recent years. So, so this is an area that, unfortunately, uh, you know, we government has has failed yeah. in that government controls housing. Government tells the developers where you're going to build, when you're going to build, how many you're going to build, how high, what color. It all falls on government. So Ooh, the problem. Can you, can you elaborate a little bit on that? I think people don't understand, like, to what extent. I mean, well, wow. in order to build anything, you need a permit and you got to okay. have to get approvals, right? Yes. So that process entails possibly, you know, the city council. Uh, it could include the land use commission, the county planning commission, department of planning and permitting. There are all of these agencies and individuals that uh, that are involved in housing, and they should be because you know we want to build 
safe housing, secure housing, housing that that uh, won't fall apart. Uh, Absolutely. And, and thus, uh, on Oahu, I think we can all agree that the problem is there is no low-cost housing. You can't find a place to rent between five hundred and a thousand dollars unless you're renting a room. Whereas yeah. on the mainland, as you know, you know you could get a a, a two-bedroom for eight hundred, a three-bedroom for a twelve hundred. There are many options, but here on Oahu, we don't have those. You know, we don't have a a a, a low income district really we don't um you know when you look all over the island we do have areas that are more expensive than other areas but there's no area that's that's you know low income everything you know is expensive if you want to buy or lease so you know it's it, it, it's on us to try to fix it, and that's why I think it is doable. It is clearly doable, and and in the homeless situation, you know, for certain we need to uh, look at the housing first program. And this is I was a national just going to ask you about that. I was just going to ask right. you about this. I, I, I was it reading your mind, like what Mark. You were talking yeah. about, so. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, we 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 need to get people, and what that's about is getting individuals um, under a roof in their own home. And once they're in their home, then you could work with them versus working with somebody in a park and then trying to track them or follow them or whatever. If you have somebody who says, okay, I will stay here. You know, that's, that's the, one of the first positive things that they have agreed and, and, and they have the means or somebody has the means to, to take care of them. Uh, And, um, if you can't put them in, in a housing unit, however, or there's shortages, uh, one thing that I've pushed for in the legislature, and we finally passed the bill, uh, I think it was 2017 or 2018, and it was my bill, actually, where we funded um, safe zones or Ohana zones in parks to the tune of $33 million. And wow. see, in my opinion, in my opinion, you know, we should put up structures or tents or something in parks where we can stabilize an individual and then give them support and services. And what I'm talking about is temporary living and and limited. So we don't have something that's ongoing for years and years. Right. At least until we can build and and figure out how to take care of the the shortage and the problem. So uh, we have some people in apartments and step condos. Step back the mic if you can. Well, step back just a little bit. Okay, a little bit scratchy. I, mean. I just don't okay. want you to blow out because I, I want people Got, to hear what you're saying. If you gotcha, blow out. gotcha. Good. So so if we could do housing first, and if we could do if we could do um, safe zones and. In the past, you know, the the mayor and the governor really haven't been supportive of safe zones. But, you know, in the in the news, I remember two or three weeks ago, I don't know if you saw them. You know, they had all these tents at Cahey Lagoon. Right. And this is where 
they were saying, if we find any homeless, uh, we'll put them in these tents in Cahey Lagoon. So again, it's temporary. It's not the best situation, but you rather have them in an area where they can be monitored and watched versus somebody who's just wandering around and, and, and then maybe getting more sick or, or even getting others sick. So well, the other thing is, and this is what I find working with a lot of homeless people is they have stuff like homeless people have stuff to, to you and I might not, it might not be important to us. It might be our trash, but to them, it's their treasure. That's all they've attained. That's what they have. And if they have to leave it or if they have to put it behind, it's not secure. And if your stuff is not secure and other homeless people or uh, trash people take your stuff or throw it away, uh, you can't leave it. So if you can't leave it, you can't walk to the toilet. You can't go to your doctor's appointment. You can't respond to your probation officer or go apply for a job or take a job, for example. So housing first or a tent or a safe zone gives them a place to lock their stuff, even if it's not great stuff. Exactly. And, and we need to find locations that the community can support and get behind. And we need to find areas that make sense and quite honestly are not in the public view because it does impact tourists. It does impact Mm. we, we local residents. We don't want to see these individuals out there and and I'm not saying hide them, but there are many places we can put them. So they're not on Nimitz Highway or, you know, King Street or Baratania or wherever the case may be. And, 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 you know, we need to get resources to the individuals. So part of the uh, solution is funding mental health programs and drug addiction, since we do have populations yes. who have both of these problems. Uh, and And then, of course... We need to work with, you know, have social workers out there. And sometimes you've got to work these individuals uh, months and months and months because oh. of the problems or the mental issues they have. And well, if you have but a it's doable. Mental, Everything is doable. If you have a yes. long-term mental illness issue and or a long-term drug treatment issue, especially if the drugs are there to treat the mental illness, that's not easily solvable that's something that needs a long time to to come back to be a member of society whether it's contributing or just be a happy member and when you do that um it's better for society and what we can do is get them off the street first whether it's a safe zone or housing first in order to get them into that because otherwise they're just going to fail i mean we're setting them right up to fail. I don't want to spend all your time talking about homeless because I, I know this is right. a, a problem that takes an eight-hour solution or, a, what, 19 years? Eight years. 19-year yeah. yeah. solution, right, is what, yeah. is what we need. Uh, well, let, let, I, let me – I do want go. to mention one, one thing, though, and what I call dormitory-style housing for adults. So Basically, just allow somebody to rent a room – and then you have shared kitchens and restrooms. I and agree. if you can, and if you can build dormitory style housing for adults, for example, if I have a room for seven hundred dollars, which sounds like a reasonable cost, 
But if I put two individuals in there who don't mind living together or who mm. are a couple, then the price point per that room is three fifty per person. Yes. And three fifty a person on minimum wage can afford three fifty. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, so that's that's your very lowest possibility, in my opinion, if you're trying to f- help somebody with a minimum wage, because we all know you really can't survive on a minimum wage here in Hawaii. No and chance. the biggest thing that would eat up their paycheck would be likely their rent. So, um, you know, we do have programs in the state where individuals pay, you know, 30% of their income or whatever the case may be. In other words, subsidized housing. And, but in a, in a dormitory style housing for adults, I don't think you really would need subsidized housing. And, and then there are ways that how you could build that, that we could go into. Mm-hmm. But like you said, we, we could be talking about homelessness and affordable housing forever. Um, if anyone out there though wants to contact me and, and to hear more or, or even share their input, you know, feel free to go to my, um, my willespero.com, my website, willespero. And through that, you can contact me and send me an email, whatever the case may be. So it's W I L L E S P E R O.com. Just Will Espero, W I L L E S P E R O. And I think it's important if you don't know how to spell his name, it's been in the news for the last 19 years. But <laughs> otherwise, um, but, but I do think that's important and I'm glad you put that out there. Uh, well, let me ask you about, um, well, the biggest thing at the top of all our lists is how do we bounce back from COVID-19? First, uh, if you're on the legislature or if you're on the city council, do you think now's the right time to reopen? Do you think we're on the right track or do you wait? Do you think it's too late? What do you think about that? We all know the dilemma. It's as simple as this. We have 35, 36% unemployment. People are suffering. People are struggling. People are having a very difficult time right now because they're unemployed. The other side of the coin is we have a disease that we know very little about and people are dying. So that's the dilemma of government, of the mayor and and the governor. When do we open up? Because there are countries out there that are still haven't peaked in their problems. And this coronavirus is going to be around for a long time, as everybody knows, if you're paying attention, that we'll be lucky if we have a vaccine next year. So you don't think it's going to just mysteriously disappear like a miracle, like it's just going to just just like it was here and it's going to be gone. It's going to mysteriously disappear like a miracle. Well, from everything that I've been watching and reading and hearing, um, it might subside in the summer months because of the hot sun and everything. But everybody, many people are saying we might have a second wave in the fall or winter and other countries have had a second wave and we'll see whether this, this phased in 
of the economy and getting people back to work and tourists come in, whether that brings the virus back or not. We're we're in uncharted charted territory. This is unprecedented. This is unprecedented unless you were living in during the Spanish flu a hundred <laughs> years ago, right? You know, and there might be somebody actually who did that. But you know that you know that's yeah, we we we're fortunate that we haven't had the debts that New York City had, for example, or Italy. Oh but yeah absolutely. But with a 36% unemployment, you know, that's that's not a trade-off that some people don't want. So uh, we're going to have to try to figure out, for example, should tourists have a test before they come? That would make sense. Test tourists. Now, that doesn't mean that they can't catch it at the airport, but at right. least that's one way of dealing with this virus test them and then maybe when they land or when they check in at the hotel or at the airport we give them a temperature check and make sure so so there are things that we can do that can that can help us keep the virus down but i don't think there's really anything we can do to completely stop it a hundred percent unless you're testing every day of which we don't have the resources, we don't have the money. The test is not a cheap test. And until there's a vaccine or a cure, we're going to have to tread lightly. It's that simple and just monitor things for, for a long time until we are in that comfort zone. And that's not going to happen till, till next year. So I expect, you know, planes are going to be half full or whatever. Yeah. Uh, hotels are going to be not 100 percent, you know, maybe every other room or every other floor. I mean, it, it, it's certainly going to be a new normal. And right. and we don't even know. They're, they're saying that it might be years before we get to the point where we get 10 million tourists. But. We know people are itching to get out there, and and you see it on the news, whether they're in Florida or Georgia yeah. or Louisiana, they're itching to get out there. So mm-hmm. Hawaii the people is are, a safe place. People are risking jail to go to the beach in Hawaii, right? Right, With right. People from the mainland flying here knowing, I mean, people are telling them, if you come here, this is what's going to happen. They sign the paper and they still go, you know what? I can't stay off that beach. I got to go. Right. And yeah, it's just, it's just a challenging time and tourists need to understand that you know, there's going to be some, some conditions you know, if you do come to Hawaii and, and we're going to have to make sure they all understand that. And, you know, the, you know, the plan might even be to work with, people from the Asian side first and then, and see, you know, open it up to Japan, for example, and, and try to get them back on a limited uh, basis. Japan, they're saying is the only country who beat this without a massive uh, countrywide shutdown, the safer at home sort of policy. Right. And, 
and and they're a very maybe beat you know, is overselling, but is is succeeding with it. Well, and, and their population, you know, I think generally, you know, they they listen to government and yeah. they they pay attention, and and they're not ones to get in your face and challenge and question. So, you know, you know, we, you know, if if it worked there, you know, maybe they are a good group to to deal with and see whether we can get our economy uh, moving in the right direction. Do you think the legislature in Hawaii will see people storm in with guns? You think uh, Hawaii's built for that? Well, maybe water guns. But that's about it. <laughs> super soakers i'm gonna tell you this will if there's a protest with water guns at the hawaii state legislature i will totally be a part of that that would be fun you know (laughs) i would jump right into that one but but certainly the new normal is going to be we we still oh oh no you cut out on me for a second is he still there? Did you both cut out of me? Now we're there. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Are you okay? Well, you went blank for about two, three minutes. You said the new normal, and then right. you uh, you uh, got snapped well, out of existence. Well, as you know, I'm I'm on my smartphone, and and it rang. <laughs> oh, okay. So that's so the I new had normal. To, yeah, that's I had to take. It's all it's I had all to, uh, phone calls. Yep. Right. Right. They're calling you because they want to. <laughs> be a part but of the we show. have you know we're gonna have to change our behavior plain and simple and and so, it's so a matter of life and death and and so i think is, our residents understand the, the behavior what is exactly do you, what do you what are you saying is the behavior that's what i that's what i want to know like what is the day-to-day what is our life going to be like a year from now what are we going to wake up and what is our priorities and what kind of work um, and what kind of family life and what kind of home life are we expecting? Good question. And I'll start with, let's talk about sports, right? Sports yeah. are going to change. You know, you're not going to see packed basketball um, arenas and football stadiums and galleries following golfers. Uh, you know, and this is something that you know, men and women enjoy. So there, yeah, there's going to be uh, major changes in certain things. Restaurants, you're not going to see packed restaurants. You're not going to see packed nightclubs. You know, I don't know if you're going to ever see a rumors again. Um, and that's and a crime. The, yeah. Not being <laughs> able to see rumors. School, <laughs> and then the schools, that's a completely, yeah. One thing uh, with the schools, you know, we found that uh, online education uh, is doable, although it's not the ideal situation. Some people have already been doing online education for a long time. But one of my thoughts is, you know, maybe instead of, let's say, as a pilot for for seniors in high school, you instead of going five days of school, you go four days of school, and one day is online education. Or you know you could do that in a college setting, 
You could do I that. I think that could work. At, I also think, and just listening to you talk, I bet, I bet you could have a charter school, which is online education. So you would have to apply if you wanted to be in it. They could choose and they could uh, follow the charter school procedures to do that. But it would only be for people who want their kids to do online. I'll tell you this. My kid refuses online education. Refuses. Will not watch Zoom. Will not participate. Just won't do it. And, and you know, if, if, there's, there, if there are alternatives for him, then, then that's great. But if there are not alternatives, there, there are no other options. You know, so we'll, we'll see how it goes. But, but even a four-day work week uh, in the workplace is a possibility. Or more working from home is a possibility. And... Yeah, this is the new normal. Um, masks are going to become a fashion statement, right? <laughs> You're going to see people wearing and matching their mask with their hat, with their shirt, with their shoes. Uh, it'll be a little niche market uh, for tourists. Everybody's going to want to hopefully buy a nice Aloha mask versus an Aloha shirt. And my you know, my the, wife is repurposing my old Aloha shirts to uh, the ones I ate too much to fit in anymore to be in new masks. Mm-hmm. And hopefully uh, you have a lot of Aloha shirts that she can work with because, you know, you know I, I'm noticing that masks are sometimes easy to lose. <laughs> <laughs> So it feels like we're we're going back. I mean, we're going back in time a bit is what I feel. I feel like, you know, we are kind of going back to what villages used to be like in a sense where you only trusted certain people to be in your intimate circle and you did business with people you knew and that you approved of. And it wasn't this mass, um, no, it wasn't this mass scale thing. Right, right. Like what we're forced to have to do is now be much more, um, much more intimately aware and um, intentional is what I'm seeing. And that's the kind of business that's going to like flourish is are the ones that really have gained trust among their neighbors, not on a global scale of of having like the best whatever. But it's going to be all like this neighbor to neighbor type of business really that I see happening right um people are going to be selective they're going to pay attention and 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 the entrepreneurs and the the store owners and restaurants who understand this and cater you know to the clientele will probably be the successful businesses for sure i was telling uh I was telling my father, because they say all the buffets are going to close now, that there's just never going to be buffets again. And I was telling him, uh, I'm going to talk to my kids about buffets the way he talks to me about drive-ins or about uh, our grandparents talk about soda fountains. That we went to the malt shop yeah. on the corner and I go, what are you talking about? And I'm going to tell my kids, <laughs> you should have seen the buffets at the Hyatt, I would go. It was amazing. We went to a hundred sales in Waikiki. All the food you could eat, you couldn't eat it all. Well, uh, you figure that businesses are going to close and some things are going to stop for like the buffets. 
but there's going to be opportunities. Maybe, maybe we'll allow um, more lunch wagons in neighborhoods, right? Oh. Where, where people can pick up and walk away. Uh, you know, the delivery services will will increase. And maybe if we could do home businesses and promote home businesses where you deliver or you have that one-on-one, as Naomi was talking about, where people will be um, very cautious and attentive and selective on who they deal with. And, and, and you're going to establish these relationships uh, because you trust these people and you have faith that they're, they're washing their hands all the time and they're not right. touching their face. So, so there's, there's just going to be a lot of changes and, and hopefully uh, it can get to the point where we lower the unemployment. And if people don't go to their old job, there'll be new jobs. And, and that's something I wanted to talk about. Um, in the new normal, for example, I, I'm looking at three areas that we can, we can look at, three sectors. One, obviously, is agriculture and farming. And the thought of let's grow more of our own food and you know the open markets for example or the the farmers growing and delivering you know have become popular have become yeah uh more of a norm because who in the heck wants to stand in a Costco line isn't that crazy <laughs> i will never never do that yeah. But I realize for some people, they have to do it. They have big families or, or, mm. or maybe it's a, you know, a small mom and pop restaurant or whatever the case may be. But, uh, you know, if we can avoid stores and businesses, you know, there, you, you know, you could have farmers bringing food or fruit or vegetables and, and if, more people could get into farming. I think, you know, it's a tough job for yeah, it sure. It, it's not easy being a farmer, but, you know, there can be opportunities. Uh, you know, urban farming is something I was reading about where, you know, if you could find places like in Honolulu, for example, uh, and uh, it's not a community garden because a community garden is like, by the Alawai or Wahiwa gotcha. where people yeah. have their own little plots and then they grow their food and then they eat it. But like urban farming, if there's an acre somewhere or a half acre that you could literally allow someone to farm it, garden it, and then they take the food and they sell it to the surrounding areas, whether it, mm. it's a grocery store or a restaurant or even people that live in high rises you know, we don't see urban farming today or, or rooftop rooftop gardens are growing. Uh, you know, those are Yeah, I was going to mention rooftop but- gardens were a big trend a little while ago. I haven't heard about much. We have tons of rooftops in Waikiki, among other places downtown. 
it sure seems like there's people there who could eat that food. Exactly. Um, and, and you've probably seen, um, I don't know what you call them, but where people grow, well, if you look at, um, horticulture, horticulture, right. And, and, um, uh, you know, people growing on walls or, uh, you have a building where you can grow inside, uh, you know, Vertical a warehouse grounds. growing, yeah. yes, growing, you know, lettuce or, you know, uh, um, bitter melon or, or whatever the case may be. <laughs> but, but I, I, agriculture and farming has, has a place. Uh, one area I would like to focus on is developing a hemp industry on Oahu. Hemp is a plant that, you know, you could eat it. Yes. You could, you could make fuel out of it. Henry Ford wanted to build a car out of hemp. Hemp plastic is biodegradable compared to the stuff we have now. And Henry Ford wanted to run the car on hemp fuel. And because of the fake news and uh, yes. the millionaires and billionaires at that time in the 20s and 30s, there was an actual conspiracy to to destroy the hemp and cannabis industry, which is what they did because and um, it was competing. It was competing with other uh, like like. Um, um, and if uh, we can that. get if we can get you or Chris Garth or Cedric to come talk to us about that, like the history of hemp and why it became illegal in the first place. I think that would be a fascinating episode where I wouldn't have to ask a question. I could just sit back yeah. and say, tell me the well, story. And, Cause and, I, and, I've heard the story and it's fascinating. And, and we can do that, but, but hemp is making a comeback. Um, the federal government has taken it up. They've, they've basically legalized hemp already. Now, now we're in the discussion phase on how it's going to be implemented and, and it's all over the place, but, but the possibilities are there in, in Hawaii, you can get, you can apply and get a license to grow 10 acres of hemp. And if, if really? we can, yes, yes. Today, the department of, if you go to the department of agriculture, uh, state of Hawaii department of agriculture website, uh, and, and go, Go click down on the bottom right. You'll you'll find the icon or whatever you call that uh, that tells you about Hawaii's hemp in the hemp program. And it's um, good information. You, know, you could CBD. CBD is a billion dollar industry in the U.S. today. Now, and, my understanding and, is in Hawaii is that CBD is just legal. It's not regulated at all. Correct. It's, is well, that fair? In the whole United States in the nation is not regulated. Is that yeah, right? It, it's buyer. It's buyer beware. So, so there's, there's, they're trying oh, to legalize it might not this be right active. now. It might not be potent is what you're saying. Or it might be too potent, that kind of thing. No, right now CBD um, is not regulated. Okay. The, the, the federal government, the FDA has no oversight on CBD. So there's a lot of, um, there's some good CBD and there's some bad CBD. Gotcha. But, but the government at the federal and state level is trying to come up with rules and regs for CBD. Because if you remember, for example, when a few months back, the, the Department of Health started cracking down saying you cannot 
put CBD as a store restaurant in a food product and sell it. You cannot do that. So, oh, okay. That was Hawaii. That was in Hawaii. Right, right. Okay. Um, and um, I mean, I, I had uh, a friend who was putting CBD in, in, in a drink. And I think uh, he had gotten it into the ABC stores and he was really? just about about to get it into 7-Eleven. And at, once the DOH came out with their ruling, uh, 7-Eleven said, no, stop, we're not going to do this. But, you know, getting I back some, to the hemp. I had some being, friends with uh, CBD in a cocktail and I told them, I, I said, look, I don't know what the law is on it. But it doesn't sound like it's okay. I'd be very, very tentative about being the first person to do that. In well, like if their you do restaurant, it in the cocktails. privacy, yeah, yeah. Well, in the restaurant, restaurant you cannot. Right. right. Well, in and the then the issue was, home, though, you can. On Hotel Street, they would put a big sign that said "CBD cocktails downstairs," and I said, "If you're going to do it, you definitely don't want to advertise where all the cops walk to, you know, get their lunch on Fort Street." Right. Exactly. Exactly. But you know, getting back, no, we're going to gonna the, talk about this. I mean, we can talk about this forever. We've already gone way right, over uh, the time that we uh, normally yeah. talk about. And I still okay. want to talk to you about one more thing. Yes. Yes. I want to talk to you about your uh, history being involved with police oversight. Cause I believe you were the first person to come out asking Kalo how to step down. You've been a strong voice about Kaneshiro uh, basically living on government dole without, uh, well, I guess he is still doing work. I don't want to say without doing work because the rumor is he's still doing it, but uh, without actually supposed to be doing government work. Um, and then, of course, George Floyd is in the news as we record this, who uh, unfortunately pla- passed away in Minnesota as a uh, police officer kneeled on his neck. And what I've seen the reports of, say, eight minutes, I refuse to watch the video. I don't want to watch a snuff film. That's not something I'm interested in. So, uh, but it's an absolute tragedy. And as we speak, uh, there's fires in Minneapolis because of what happened there with George Floyd and the way they're treating the police officer with kid gloves, uh, who's already moved. He's already moved down to Florida. He's already fled, uh, without being arrested, which is why sometimes you got to arrest people who are wanted for murder. Right. Um, yeah, no, uh, yes. Um, there's so a lot I of question was, in there. A, yes. <laughs> well, I, I've been, I've been a, I've been a strong proponent of police reform and prison reform in, in the Senate. I was the chairman of the public safety intergovernmental and military affairs committee. And that had a slew of, of, um, of jurisdiction, uh, law enforcement, sheriff, police, uh, prisons, uh, narcotics division, uh, National Guard, uh, th- those all came under my jurisdiction. And, 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 and we've made some changes. We, we still need to do more. But, yes, thank you for bringing it up. I was, I was the first and only uh, state legislator to say Kealoha needs to step down. He, wow. you know, he does not belong in the position while he's under investigation. This is such a heavy subject. <laughs> yes. And I'm, I'm, I was, I'm very impressed that you stand up and you say this so openly. Um, and that's hard. And well, I, uh, yeah. I, I even spoke out against his, 
his $250,000 $250, golden parachute, yeah. if you remember that. Which Don't undersell that. So, yeah. you know, that was ridiculous because I and, and a couple other just people out there were saying, don't give it to him. You could maybe give it to him if he's found innocent, but right. not while he's guilty or not while he hasn't been tried yet. Because uh, the way they gave it to him was they gave it to him. But if you're guilty, you got to give it back. <laughs> well, you and I know he's not going to give that back. So so that's two hundred fifty thousand dollars loss right there. And so over the years, uh, my opinion is um, there has like not telling your kid good, to hold a cookie and saying, you know, yeah, I'm going to need this cookie back if you don't do. What's yeah. he going to do? But the cookie's going to come back. Right. We haven't had good civilian oversight of the police department. So if I'm privileged and honored to be elected to the city council, that is one area that I'll be focusing on because I've already been involved there. Uh, for example, we passed a bill um, in 2019, uh, and I actually posted something on this on my Facebook page. So if anyone out there wants to see more on some of the things I do, um, I do have my Facebook page under Will Espero and William Espero. And I also have a Will Espero for Hawaii. But on uh, recently I posted a house bill, I think 2071, dealing with statewide standards for our police officers. We're one of the few states that does not have statewide standards for our law enforcement officers. And really? We we finally passed the bill, but now they're in the process of putting it together, and and it's slow and time consuming, uh, and and they 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 need to speed it up because uh, it, it it's just ridiculous that in this day and age we don't have statewide standards, and, and we need those standards, and we should have them so that. If anyone wants to transfer from a city or state or state or, or county position, then we know at the very least they have uh, they all have these minimum qualifications, and hopefully they'll have more depending on what they do or, or what what line of work within the department or agency they get involved in. But uh, yeah, we certainly need to to stay on top of our law enforcement because we have had problems with our police officers. Uh, but let me say um, the majority of police officers in Hawaii are professional law abiding um, yes. individuals, but it's, it's yes. the few bad apples that make it worse for everybody. And you how, know, the, the how, Cachola case, no, go ahead. The Cachola get, case is an example. No, I was going to say the Cachola get, case. Go, go, <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Mark. I go. No, okay. No, okay. Well, I was going to say, how do we get people to realize that we're protecting the police department by stopping the police who are taking advantage of their badge? How come people can't get that? Well, I, I think some do and some don't. Um, you know, it, it, it's not that complicated. Uh, you know, some people, though, you know, just love the officers which they should because we we grow up 
being told that, you know, they're the good guys. They're our protectors. But, you know, in the case here of of uh, George Floyd in Minneapolis, you know, the, the, the evidence, you know, in my opinion, clearly shows that that officer killed or contributed to the death of a man who was helpless. He was handcuffed, laying on his stomach, and he was talking to them. I can't breathe. And yet his pleas were ignored and he died. And it's those type of incidences. Yeah. Those incidences. Yeah, go. No, go ahead. (laughs) No, you're going right on it. And I went to interrupt you. I'm sorry. I'm still new at this. I'm still learning. Yeah, that's okay. Those incidences are the ones that, you know, it, 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 it hurts the public trust and the faith yeah. in officers. So, you know, we, we need strong civilian oversight and we need to make certain that we have the best people, individuals. And, you know, law enforcement is one of the areas where we have a shortage. We have a shortage of law enforcement. Is that right? Um, but uh, yes, I mean, there's a lot of sectors in government and in the private sector where where there's shortages, and that's going to be part of the new normal too. Um, so there will be, in my opinion, there there will be a job for every person in Hawaii who wants a job. But that's it. Some people that's it right there. aren't. Some people are not motivated, or some people have problems and situations that impact them, and, and factors that are beyond their control, and 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 thus. You know, it is what it is, and society has to deal with it. But, um, you know, there should be a job for every person, and there could be um, two other areas that I didn't talk about and we could talk about in the future regarding the new normal, though um, I think we can provide opportunities in alternative energy and okay. culture and art. And culture and arts, uh, in Huge. particular, filmmaking, um, music. Yeah. Uh, you know, songwriting, um, authorship of books. You know, we there's no reason why we can't be the a creative center for the world and sell these items online using technology. Will, I appreciate you very much spending this time with us. I appreciate you taking time out of your day. I know you're in the last seven weeks. You're in the last lap, maybe. Uh, running up on this election. You've already told us where Prime to find time. you, willisparrow.com, as well as uh, yes. Willis Sparrow on uh, Facebook. And, yes. and and hopefully we could do this again, uh, Mark and Naomi. Uh, you know, this, boy, that went fast and, and we, did, we barely right? touched on a it lot of stuff. super fast. <laughs> There's a lot no, more and, we can talk about, though. And I let you go about double what I normally let people go because... <laughs> You were killing it. <laughs> Normally, I'm like, you start with, and then, you know, I go, nope, we're done. <laughs> Let's I, go. I have to say, before I let him go, because I oh, no. Able, no, I just want to know. I just want to know, what is it that makes you wake up every morning? Like, what is it that makes you really want to be here and do this? Because 
you can talk about all these issues, but what is it in you that is like, I have to do this for the past 19 years? I, I enjoy being active and being involved in, in decision-making and my time as a lawmaker really, uh, really had me involved in making a difference on, on key issues such as uh, gun control, like I said, prison and police reform, uh, protecting our coral reefs by banning oxybenzone. You know, we, we, I've, I've been fortunate to have, I, yeah, I, I've been fortunate to have some successes and being so long in government, I, I really truly believe that public service is, is in my heart and soul. And this year I'm going to be 60 years old. And wow. I'm at the point, I'm at the point now, I know I look 40, but I'm truly going to be 60. Um, you do look like you moisturize. You do look like you, I, you do look like you have a good moisturizer. That, that Asian, uh, that Asian blood. I mean, yes, yes. <laughs> but, uh, but I, I, I want to um, improve the quality of life for everyone in Hawaii and especially on Oahu. I want to and homelessness there's no reason why we shouldn't have a place for every single person to live even if we were on a temporary for example to take an old bus take out all the seats put in three or four beds and voila we have a place that someone can sleep i feel uh, you so yeah i want to leave a legacy Yes, your legacy. What is it? Yeah. What is it? In one well, sentence, I, what can we? What is it that you want people to have felt from you? What is it? This? What is this one? What is this legacy going to feel like? That's what I want to leave people with. That's what I choose my voting on. What is it that you're making me mm-hmm. feel? Well, I want. I want to have people feel like they can live and stay in Hawaii comfortably without having to move away and they'll have a job and a place to live. We need to improve the quality of life because Hawaii has become a state of haves and have nots. Mm. And I'm going to be okay. But, you know, what about that? person who's just graduating from high school or the the, yeah you know or the 30 year old single mother or single father you know you know or the 40 year old unemployed you know what's their future going to be like and 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 we need to knowing that we're very isolated geographically we have limitations we live on an island what are the policies that we can do and make now that will last for 20, 30, 40, 50 years and, and, and improve people's quality of life. Thank you very much, Willis Sparrow. And thank you everyone for listening to Aloha Friday podcast. I feel like I want to invite you back to do some kind of panel discussion. Let's talk about that later. But for now, yes. I'm going to accept the mana that you've given us tonight, sort of soaking it. And uh, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it very much.